The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. I'm Aaron Strout, the CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast Show, except not today. Today, you'll get a special guest, uh, my colleague, Jennifer Paganelli, JPAGS, and she is the president of our Earn Media Group. She's been with us a number of years. She is a pro at uh, this medical meeting coming up called ASCO. Uh, some of you may know it as the Super Bowl of Oncology. She will be joined by two other amazing colleagues, uh, Ujwal Piatti, who is the practice lead of our scientific strategy and Affairs team, and then Brandon Pletch, who is the managing director of our scientific visualization and experiential division, uh, also called Rad Science. They're going to talk a little bit about the, the art and the um, science of what goes into these types of meetings and how you can get the most out of them, both personally as well as for your key stakeholders. You'll also get some pro tips on uh, what to look for, how the hybrid model works, what you can do to maximize that for all of your audiences, and then some very specific uh, shoe wear and food tips. So hope you enjoy listening in as much as I did and hope you enjoy the show. Terrific. Well, really glad to be here. Thank you, Aaron. Um, JPEG's here, and I am thrilled to moderate today's ASCO discussion with two of my esteemed colleagues, Uj and Brandon. Um, as many of you know, and for the uninitiated, the ASCO annual meeting is upon us. We cannot wait. It's every year in early June in Chicago, and it's the annual meeting of the American Society for Clinical Oncology. It's a critical global event for so many of our real chemistry biopharma clients. And it's really a forum for sharing so many of the major medical advances that will fuel conversations, drive innovation across the entire oncology ecosystem, and ultimately have the power to change patients' lives. And that's really a key part of our mission here at Real Chemistry and why we always have a great presence at the meeting and something to say about it. So this year's ASCO theme is Advancing Equitable Cancer Care Through Innovation. And before we hop on that plane to Chicago to join the tens of thousands of researchers, advocates, reporters, and healthcare professionals from around the globe at this year's meeting, we wanted to spend some time talking about the themes and key trends we're keeping an eye on heading into this year's meeting. So really excited, Uj and Brandon, for your fresh takes about the ASCO experience um, from not just a clinical perspective, but more so from a storytelling perspective. Um, it's really important to understand what audiences expect and want at these meetings, and I am so thrilled that both of you are here to help us understand that. So let's kick it off. Historically, before COVID, what was the experience like at ASCO for attendees in your perspective? What was great about the experience and what was not so great? Uj, I'm going to start with you and then go to Brandon. Yeah, thanks, Pags. So I lead our scientific and medical affairs team here at Real Chemistry, and we're you know a bunch of PhDs who love the science, love the clinical data, and ASCO for us was always like people call it the Super Bowl of oncology. It really is. So you know, huge conference center, going, meeting up with colleagues, hustling from talk to talk, going to 
uh, every presentation you can, every poster you can. Sometimes two are ongoing at once, so you're feeling like, oh, I got, I got to catch part of this, part of that, and getting really inundated with the science and, uh, and innovation. Uh, also a time to really bond with clients as well, whether it's on the floor itself, after a talk, at the booth, or uh, going to dinner even and socializing with them. So there were multiple aspects to it that were, were really great. Uh, you know, as people who love thinking about oncology, who love being at the forefront of innovation, that's what ASCO really has always represented. What I did find about it, though, was it, it was really overwhelming at times. It was, it was really overwhelming in terms of information overload, uh, in terms of feeling, like I mentioned, like you needed to be live everywhere all the time and you couldn't be and inevitably you were missing things. So I always left feeling invigorated by the amount of information that I was exposed to and got to think about, but also like, man, there were talks I missed. You look at the back at the program, I wish I could have seen this. I wish I could have seen that. And, you know, this feeling like there was this big event that I got to be a part of to a certain extent, but not really fully cover. And I think some of our discussion today will talk about how uh, the experience can be optimized um, and probably will be hopefully in many ways this year. So anyways, that's my spiel. Yeah. Um, hey, so yeah, and I, I run our um, scientific visualization and um, experiential division at Real Chemistry. And, you know, even though we work in a lot of different therapeutic areas, all different therapeutic areas, among them, um, you know, ASCO is not just the Super Bowl of oncology, but it's really our Super Bowl of the year. It is the biggest event that we support. Um, and there's a lot of excitement around that. You know, but from the perspective of like, what's it What's it been like for attendees? What's been great about it? What's been not? I mean, which covered a lot of that already. Um, you know, I think I think some of what uh, just being together for the for the attendees, for the healthcare professionals, the networking and the the learning from each other has always been a really big important part of that for industry as well. Uh, for people to see their colleagues, um, you know, one of the strange things though I think historically about um, going to ASCO is that apart from it being overwhelming, I mean, it's just so much there and you can't possibly see and experience everything. There's always been kind of a, a bit of a chasm between um, the research being presented and the science being presented and the representation of industry at these events. Um, there's been always been a little bit of a disconnect there. And, you know, when you go onto the exhibit floor, a lot of times you get bombarded by, with big product names and sales reps and it, it, it tended to have this feeling of a bit of um, kind of inauthenticity uh, and so, you know, I would say that's, that's something that the industry has definitely felt and noticed. It hasn't gone unnoticed and they've been looking to adapt to that. Um, but yeah, lot, lots of good, um, more good than bad, but uh, yeah, definitely an interesting experience. Yeah, from a media perspective, I lead our earned media team. So this is one of the few meetings of the year where our team is so excited to be on site because it's one of the times where a lot of the reporters from the most influential outlets covering medical advances are actually physically together. So we can, you know, our job is all about relationship building and cultivating and not having, being able to see those, those, um, those partners, you know, is, is, is kind of a bummer, but I'm really excited this year to, to get Get some FaceTime with some of those agenda setting reporters from STAT and, and others, and just to get back into the, to the swing. So I appreciate both of your historical perspectives. And that really brings us to today. You know, what makes us unique here at Real Chemistry, as you know, is our art and science approach to marketing and communications and customizing that experience for different audiences. You really need both the art and the science, right? And while you definitely think about science, with a meeting like ASCO, um, you don't necessarily think about 
creativity. So Brandon, I want you to set us straight on that. What role does or should creativity play in the overall experience at a meeting like ASCO? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, particularly from the perspective of um, the exhibit floor and um, how, how industry is showing up, how our clients are showing up, and how they're looking to engage with healthcare professionals and researchers. Um, there is a whole art of engagement that goes into this, um, you know, all the way from the analysis of the floor plan and how people walk in, how do you understand how people move through a space? What is their first impression going to be of your space, of your exhibit? And then you, you think through everything from, okay, what's the impression that they get from, say, 60 feet away, right? What's that kind of big ticket thing that they see that if they don't see anything else in your booth, they're going to get that? But is that compelling enough then to draw them in, okay? Now you're at more of a human scale. What's that thing from the aisle that they're going to see that's going to be interesting? So there are many layers of creativity all the way down to, okay, now you've got them in the booth. How do you maintain that level of intimacy and engagement to actually want them to enter the booth and then stay there and learn something? So just from a pure experiential standpoint, there's a lot of creative thinking that goes into that. But I think the most important part of it is like, how do you bridge that gap between the specific communication objectives that your client has? Like what's important about the science they want to talk about? And then you have the experience to learn that stuff. There, I, what I have seen historically is um, a lot of times there's, again, a kind of a disconnect between technologies used as sort of like gimmickry to get people in a booth and then the thing that you're trying to learn, um, you know, and, and so we always take the approach of let's start from the science that we're trying to teach and then let's talk about creative ways to actually hit that objective. And the last thing we land on is a technology like VR or a hologram or something like that. Um, but that's always served us really well. But it's it really is, um, it, it's taking an experiential creative approach and it's it's not dissimilar to what you see in a lot of different industries. Um, even pre-pandemic, um, there was a gravitation toward a kind of an experiential economy. When you look at different types of, um, you know, experiences, like even going to a movie theater, you know, it used to just be you would get your tickets, get your popcorn, sit down and watch the movie. Then it started to be like, okay, well, maybe we make the chairs a little more comfortable. Maybe we serve some meals and have beer available. Maybe we have quizzes before the actual movie. The whole thing has become more experiential. There's a, there's a very strong creative component to that. Um, but I know, it's, uh, you know, you've, you've been at a ton of ASCOs. I know you've experienced this as well. Definitely. And I, I think, you know, clearly scientists and clinicians are themselves creative. Uh, you know, when we've done projects where we co-create with them, they love it, right? They love building scientific stories, scientific visualizations. You know, some of us aren't as good as you and your team, Brandon, but, <laughs> but we still like to draw up the science, communicate it in simple ways and actually have experiences that are interesting. So if you think about the day in the life of a scientist or a clinician, especially now, you know, they're going to their phone, they're quickly getting information. They're, it's no longer a 30 page PDF of scientific information, right? I mean, they want things that are quick, that are visual, that are engaging. And, you know, you, your team does that so well, Brandon, but additionally, I think beyond the booth, it's how do you create this connected experience, right? How do you keep that going? So They'll enter the booth, they'll learn something, but how do you keep that momentum going beyond it? You know, how they go to uh, to LinkedIn, they see something. They go to the, the webpage for the company, they see something, and they it really sticks with them. There's recall. And then over time, of course, there's action. They might change the way they think about a treatment paradigm or consider a new mechanism that they hadn't thought about before. Like, that's really the goal overall. But I think it is now about 
creating experiences that mesh with the experiences that people are having every day when they're consuming information, right? Whether it's news, like they're going to ESPN, like how they like to read stories in ESPN. They probably would like to read scientific stories in similar kinds of ways, right? Quick, bite-sized uh, pieces of information, you know, that that will stick with them. And then they they share it too, right? That's a big thing as well. So beyond the meeting, right? They're going to be sharing information, sharing outputs from ASCO. There'll be discussions on the validity of certain data, of the impact of certain data that'll go on and on and on. And so, you know, increasingly, um, people who are communicating the science seem to be part of that conversation, right? So I'm looking forward to see how that happens this year, especially with the, the virtual and live component and the interaction between the two, so. You touched on something else too there, which, which is like the, the memories, you know, your, the recall that you're trying to inspire. And I think a big part of kind of the, the creativity in approaching this is how do you make people remember what they learned in your, in your exhibit or what, make them remember something about the way you presented a piece of data? Um, and, you know, when you think about like why anybody goes anywhere, like on vacation, you go to a city, what are you looking to do, right? You're looking to do something that's going to make some memories, right? And, and our goal at these meetings is to literally have somebody when they're getting back, you know, in the cab on the way to the airport being, man, when we went and saw that thing at that booth, that was awesome, right? That, you know, like just whatever it was like, or get people talking about it. You know, like, did you, did you see that thing? Like, you got to go see the exhibit at blah, blah, blah. Um, we we want to create that kind of excitement, but that's also the way that you're going to be, be remembered, you know, and that's, that's as important as anything else. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. That's fascinating. Yeah, the, the idea of like the memories and, you know, because clients often come to us and they say, how can we break through? If I hear the word breakthrough once a week, I hear 20 times a week, and I'm sure both of you do as well. How does that, how do you tackle that challenge, though, when you have half of the attendees participating in a meeting like ASCO remote, right? That, that must be just so challenging. How do you make sure that experience, it's certainly not going to be the same as in person, but what are some best practices or ways that we as communicators should be thinking about, you know, creating an experience for individuals that's just as impactful? Uj, I'll, I'll kick that to you first. Yeah, we're thinking a lot about this nowadays, um, both in the context of a Congress and outside of a Congress, which is you know, this omnichannel experience, which is kind of a buzzword. But what, what it means to me, at least, is that you understand who your audience is deeply. You understand the ways that they like to get information and what types of information they like to look at. And you then tailor the entire 360 experience to that, right? So the Congress will be one moment in time. Let's say you're virtual. You know, you're, you're delivering certain experiences. It might be a, an aspect of a virtual booth, not necessarily an entire booth, but something they, they can go to. Let's say it's an MOA video. They access that. They look at the MOA video. But then there are other aspects, too, through social media, through email, through uh, MSL conversations or virtual MSL conversations, for instance, where they're getting an entire picture of the science behind a product and not just, again, that one moment in time. And you understand how that person likes to get information and you're delivering information in that way. Right. That's the dream. Again, like we understand not just the difference between, let's say, a community oncologist versus an academic oncologist, but an academic oncologist in a specific region that might prefer certain kinds of information delivered through a certain channel, we're going to deliver it to them through that channel at the right time in the right way, right? Versus the community guy that may think differently. Um, so more and more, I think it's about catering experiences to people based on their needs and wants. Um, and in the virtual format, you can obviously do that through, through digital means. 
to, to Brand's point, in the booth itself, you know, you're delivering a lot of information, but you want to deliver information that's relevant for those people and then keep that recall going over time and create an experience that's meaningful to them, right? So to his point about the gizmos, not, I mean, yeah, you could say, I want to do VR, but is that impactful to everybody? Does it, you know, communicate the science you want to communicate? And uh, is it on strategy? Maybe not, right? So understand your audience, understand what they really want and cater that to them, both in the virtual form and the live form. The funny thing about having to tackle virtual congresses when the pandemic hit was, uh, well, it's funny because everybody's initial reaction was like, okay, so we're not going to have a live Congress. So we want to have a virtual booth, right? There's going to be a virtual Congress. Let's have a virtual booth. And I think that there was a deep misunderstanding about what that was supposed to be. Like, first of all, what's the, what's the motivation there? It's not, it's not the same situation. Like when you go to a Congress, like, like ASCO, you know, you have a captive audience, first of all. So you have all of these people that have come from all over the world um, to be with their peers, to learn the latest, um, you know, to understand the latest, um, you know, guidelines and, and see what the cutting edge science is bringing. And then they have some downtime usually between sessions or before they go out to dinner, they'll go check out the exhibit hall. Maybe they have a meeting with somebody or maybe they just want to see what's there. Maybe they literally just want a coffee or something. They wander in, right? And what do you do with that opportunity? right? That simply doesn't exist in the virtual space. That is a completely different scenario. And so, you know, we had a lot of clients that were like, let's make a virtual booth. Let's like, you know, create a website that looks like a booth. Um, and, and what we ended up finding was like, hey, look, if you're scrambling to create something virtual, an internet-based experience around this Congress, it's probably something you should have been doing already anyway. Right. Like if you had some high level communication objective that you want to deliver digitally, it probably should already live on the Internet outside of just this one event per year. Right. So it really was kind of like a mirror to a lot of our clients saying like, whoa, have we been missing out on a lot of kind of interactive virtual opportunities here where we should have these different kinds of experiences? So, you know, it's interesting when I think about hybrid events, to me, they really are separate sort of channels, the same way anything is a separate channel, you know? And, and we look at it a little bit independently. The exhibit hall experience and what that, what that truly is, is something very unique to a live, um, live situation. Yeah, I mean, Brandon brings up a great point. That's a point of physical scientific, scientific exchange, right? Part of it is you grab a coffee, but you're talking to, you know, a representative from the company. It might be somebody from medical affairs, it might be a, a sales rep, but you're, you're talking about the product, you're interacting with screens, you know, it's a moment in time you might be taking a break, but you're engaging in the science there. Um, virtually, like, yeah, are people going to navigate to a site to look at a booth online? Like, you know, probably much less so, which is why what we're saying is it, it needs to be an experience to live beyond that. Like, that's one moment in time, sure, but there's an entire digital experience that's ongoing, right? And that's, yeah, you need to, you need to engage them, again, where they are, where they want information, the way that they want information, not assume they're going to go to a virtual booth site and like walk through all the virtual elements there you know it's fascinating to me as a media you know with a media as a me, the resident media person how much thought your teams put into the overall experience and how i never thought brandon about that you know how do you really use these folks downtime when you know they might be receptive to walking around i mean i know that i walk around the exhibit hall with reporters we'll do a little walk and talk you know that's where i'll catch up with them and we'll be on the lookout for interesting experiences on site i mean it's fascinating how you really have to examine and 
every single little touch point with with that that customer, so to say, um, to make sure that experience is connected, it's captivating, and at the end of the day, it's delivering on what it is the information is you want them to receive and to remember. Yeah, there are times that we have. I mean, because whether you like it or not, people do sometimes go in there and enter a booth simply for some sort of refreshment, right? And there are times that we yeah, have I go for the fro yo. I'll admit yeah, it. Yeah. Sometimes I want the frozen yogurt. We will design an entire flow diagram around the froyo to make sure that they pass by understanding efficacy and patient identification. And once they have their froyo, have an opportunity for REMS enrollment. Like we we think the whole thing through and sometimes use that that like a hospitality experience to to kind of bring them in and then keep them in. That's fascinating. I would never think that. I mean, where do you and your team get your inspiration for experiences like this? You know, you mentioned movies and that that seems like a no-brainer for sure. Um, where else? Uh, I mean, the world outside of pharmaceutical marketing, for sure. Like basically inspiration comes from everywhere. And I, I think like, you know, my earliest, so my background is in fine art. I was a painter. Um, and my earliest sort of awakening to this was, um, you know, going to museums and uh, experiencing my first kind of like off the wall interactive experience was the Pompidou in Paris. Um, it was the first time I walked into a museum thinking I was going to just see some art on the wall. And I was part of the exhibit. You know, there was like video of me then being projected onto sculptures and stuff like that. And I was like, this is a whole other thing. So we encourage our teams to do anything out in the world that is a cool experience to bring back with them. And if you, you know, you, you go to major cities like New York, for instance, and you see like, there's like the, the museum of ice cream and the color factory and sleep no more. And all of these like memorable life experiences that that's what we go to for inspiration and look to bring that into the exhibit experience. That's amazing. Uj, does your team do the same thing? Do you encourage them to get out into the world and experience, you know, the world, the way that, you know, we, our audiences are. I mean, we always kind of joke, you know, healthcare professionals and researchers, they're people too. They have lives outside of their work. You know, they don't just wake up every day and read the New England Journal of Medicine the second they wake up, right? They, they experience things like we all do. I mean, are you constantly seeking that type of inspiration as well? Yeah, I mean, ours is definitely on the, you know, the more verbal storytelling element and simplification of complexity, right? That's one of the things we pride ourselves on is, is being able to go deep into the science, understand all the complexities, but then really simplify it. So, you know, we talk a lot about the literature we read. We were just talking about some of our authors last night. A few of us had a, a team get together. We're talking about our favorite books, you know, Somerset Mom, et cetera. And like, you know, the beautiful prose that they create and that influences the way we think about how we communicate, you know, how we make things engaging for people. We, we use language and lexicon. This is one of our favorite things to do is build a lexicon around a scientific story that's really memorable, catchy, uh, and can be used across broad audiences. So yeah, I mean, definitely, I, you know, we're, we're not the, the, the art folks like Brandon and, and his team are for sure, but we, we definitely take inspiration from things like literature and, and creating simplicity out of complexity and uh, using very uh, nuanced language that is engaging. That's very cool to hear. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing my executive coaching colleague, Mike Huckman, you know, says all the time, words matter. As an industry, we're not always doing ourselves any, any justice by the way, you know, we overcomplicate concepts and data, and we're not really uh, distilling it down to a memorable, punchy, um, you know, way, the way that we could. But 
gosh, this was such an interesting conversation. I'm even more excited for ASCO than when we started. And I want to end our conversation with a few rapid fire questions. Brandon, you can go first and then Uj, I'll ask a few and then we'll close it out. So number one, Chicago food. Are we going deep dish pizza or Chicago hot dog? I'm going to go Chicago hot dog. If I can go to that place where they yell at you, I forget what it's called, but there's that place they yell at you and call you names and give you great hot dogs. It's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely memorable. I got to check that out. Uj, what about you? I'm going to go the opposite way and go deep dish. Um, although, you know, I, I used to go to Chicago and that was a special experience to get a deep dish there. I now make a, deep, a mean deep dish pizza myself, but I have to say that Chicago is the inspiration and, you know, I, I love a deep dish pizza. So I'll go that. There we go. Always looking for inspiration and heck, you know, Brandon, maybe that's the concept for a booth moving forward where someone's just going to yell at you about the, you know, uh, the, the, the PI or whatever, but that's a I, so. I, I went to this place, a client brought me there and they were like, you're going to love it. They're so mean. And we got there and it was a little quiet. And so the client was like, Hey, what happened to this place? And all the employees just started shouting at us and calling us obscenities. And he was That's like, fantastic. there it is. You got to give me the name of this place. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll find Please out. Please circulate that. I'd like to include that in the show notes. So everyone knows where to, to get, <laughs> to get that. Thank you. Okay. Footwear, critically important. If you're walking the halls of McCormick place, which can be miles upon miles, are you going heels, flats, or sneakers? I'm a sneakers girl. Brandon, are you a heels guy? <laughs> I am a I am a sneakers guy through and through. I look get the nicest looking pair of sneakers, and that's all I ever do. Yeah, it's funny you ask that because Brandon's a cool creative, so he can get away with wearing whatever he wants, and they're like he's edgy. Uh, I had to, you know, me being uh, being a science guy, trying to look all professional and you know buttoned up and whatever, would always wear a suit with dress shoes. But over time, like you learn that really kills your feet. So now in the era of you know comfort, business casual. I'm, I'm with Brandon, the nice sneakers, you know, I'm not wearing Air Jordans, but I'm wearing some, you know, some nice Italian sneakers. I won't name brands because, you know, I don't want to do that. But yeah, they're not sponsoring this podcast yet. So <laughs> right. I appreciate that. <laughs> exactly. One year, I, I kid you not at ASCO, I was very pregnant. And some of our listeners will remember this. And I had to wear sneakers uh, for obvious reasons. And I got a pair of Toms and I will say that the Toms and they were the periodic table. And reporters went wild. I mean, that talk about creating memories. I'll never forget Matt Herber looking down at my feet and saying, is that the periodic table? And I was like, yes, Matt. Yes, it is. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question before we, we let everyone go. What are three or four words to predict the experience that you want out of this year's ASCO? For me, it is going to be choose your adventure. Brandon, what is it for you? And then, Ooze, you're going you're gonna to have the last word. All about authenticity. Nice. Bouge? This is probably two words, depending on how you look at it, but I'd say recreating connections. Nice. And I can explain what that means. It's personal connections, being there together, but also connections, as we talked about, in uh, connected experiences, both at a, at a live booth, online, beyond the Congress, et cetera. Awesome. Well, that's a great place to, to end. I can't wait to see both of you at this year's meeting. And I can't wait to help export the meeting experience for colleagues, clients, and, and others who may not be able to join us in person, but will be tuning in virtually. So I thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, Pags. Appreciate it. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.